Good morning, everybody. When I was a junior in college, uh, we won the Southeastern Conference Championship in baseball at Vanderbilt. Uh, I lived there in Nashville with uh, three other baseball players, and our uh, suite was Party Central. Uh, lots of people stopped by to congratulate us. Uh, we had fun celebrating our championship, maybe a little too much fun, if you know what I mean. Uh, I wasn't a big drinker, but that night, I drank too much. So the next day, I wasn't feeling too well. Uh, neither were my teammates. Uh, we were sitting around in the commons area of the suite, uh, empty beer cans and champagne bottles littered the room. Uh, it smelled bad and we looked worse. We heard somebody knock at the door, and we yelled, come in, thinking that it was maybe another well-wisher. Uh, into the room walked my dad, the Baptist pastor from Chattanooga. <laughs> and with him were about five, six uh, church leaders from my home church there in Chattanooga. And I'm not kidding, those guys walked into the room and they looked around and they took a smell and they just backed right out into the hallway. And they left my dad in there kind of by himself. So he stayed calm. Uh, he simply said, hey guys, I just wanted to drop by and say congratulations. You know, we happen to be in town for a church meeting. Uh, don't have time to stay. Way to go, guys. And my dad was on his way. Uh, he, he never said anything about the party or the smell. He never said that he was ashamed or disappointment, disappointed or embarrassed of me. And after he left, my teammates looked at me and they said, Man, we can't believe that he didn't yell at you or yell at us. I said, I can't believe it either. So over the next few days as I processed what happened, God's spirit began to do a deep work in me. I mean, I knew that getting drunk was wrong. I didn't need my dad to tell me that. And also knew that I disappointed my dad. I didn't need him to tell me that. I didn't like the feeling of knowing I had disappointed my earthly father, and more importantly, I had disappointed my heavenly father. So I made a lifestyle decision. That was the last time that I ever drank so much that I, that I got drunk. Now today, as I reflect on that experience, I'm convinced that my dad parented me in the spirit instead of parented me in the flesh. And that's what gave room for the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in my heart. Open your Bibles today to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 22. Today we're going to talk about parenting in the spirit or parenting in the flesh. And the big idea that we have today is very simple. Stay in step with the spirit. Stay in step with the spirit. Um, if you're a parent, uh, realize that the principles apply to you, but if you're not a parent, they still apply. Uh, because these verses apply to every single follower of Jesus Christ, and it has broad applications for every area of your life. So the idea is not only do we need a parent by the Spirit, but we need to live by the Spirit. Now we're wrapping up our series called Parenting 216, and as uh, Pastor Joe said in the video, uh, we only have 216 months with our kids before they hit age 18, so we got to make sure that we actually parent well. Now, we chose this title, too, because of a verse in this book, Galatians, which was a letter written by a spiritual leader to a group of churches in uh, what's now modern-day Turkey, and that's chapter 2, verse 16, 216, and it says very simply, we know that a person is not justified by 
works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we can apply that to our parenting. We know that your son, your daughter, is not justified or made right with God by works of the law, but by keeping, which means they're not going to be made right with God by keeping the rules of your family, but they're going to be made right with God through their faith in Jesus Christ. Because, see, the best thing that will ever happen to your son or daughter is not that they uh, get a scholarship to an Ivy League school or that they become a professional athlete or that they get a job as an executive with a Fortune 500 company. The best thing that could ever happen to your son or daughter is that they have been made right with God, they've been justified in the eyes of God through their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to go with our parenting. Now, only God can do that in the life of your son or daughter. You can't make that happen. But you can set the stage for that to happen if you're parenting in the Spirit instead of parenting in the flesh. So let's look at Galatians 5, start with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. I mean, this is the kind of home that everybody wants to have, right? A home filled with love, joy, peace, patience. Um, then it says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we die to the things that are listed in verses 19 to 21, things like strife and jealousy and fits of anger and division and drunkenness. We die to those things. We've crucified the flesh. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And that's our focus for today, verse 25. So read it with me. It's on the screen. Here we go. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we don't stay in step with the Spirit, then what happens? See, if you live, if you parent in the flesh, rather than live and parent in the Spirit, what happens? Well, our families are going to be filled with selfishness and pride and conceit. Look at verse 26. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, if you don't parent in the Spirit, then your home is going to be filled with conceit. Each person is going to focus on himself or herself. It's all about me. We're filled with pride. And uh, that's me thinking about myself more than I'm thinking about anyone else. And when I think about myself more and think I'm superior, then that means I'm going to provoke you. And if I think about myself more and I think I'm inferior, that means I'm going to envy you. And it's just not a pretty picture in our homes. So this is why we've got to learn to live and to parent in the Spirit. Now, after last week's message, um, on the way out, if you were here, you received a scenario uh, about a dad named Zach. So we ask you to read it. We ask you to process it. Now I realize some of you weren't here last week and uh, some of you got the scenario and you went home and threw it right in the garbage. Okay, that's all right. We love you. We'll give you grace. Uh, but let me just summarize that scenario and then we're going to talk about it. Zach was a kid that grew up in a broken home without a dad. Uh, he became an overachiever. Everybody thought he was a great kid. Uh, he went off to college. Shortly after he arrived he at college, he found out that his high school girlfriend was pregnant with his baby. So he talked her into having an abortion. 
And the guilt of that began to eat him up inside. He started drinking, he started partying, he started cutting class. It wasn't long before he dropped out of college. He moved back home and he continued a destructive lifestyle. He met a girl that he liked, but she wouldn't date him because she was a follower of Christ. He wasn't a follower of Christ. So he goes, what's up with that? He reached out to his high school coach and his high school coach ended up leading him to put his faith in Christ. Now the girl still wouldn't date him for a while because she wanted to make sure that his conversion to Christ was real and it was. So they began to date, they got engaged, they were married, then kids came. Now, as a dad, Zach wanted to make sure that his kids didn't make the same mistakes that he made. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs out of this uh, scenario that we gave you last week. Zach wanted to keep his kids safe from partying, drinking, drugging, fighting, and premarital sex. So, family rules were established. Any violation was quickly punished. Followed, of course, by an embrace and an I love you. Missing church, not an option. Family devotions were routine. Volunteering was a must. Memorizing the family rules and key Bible verses were a focus. And when the kids grew older, a strict curfew was enforced. At first, his wife Megan loved all this. All Zach could think about was, how can I make my family life better? But Zach wasn't really happy. Zach's voice would rise when the kids misbehaved. His anger too often raged. The kids began to act out. And Megan spent many lonely nights staring at the ceiling, listening to Zach's quiet snore, and wondering, why does serving Jesus have to be so hard? What happened to my sweet family? Where are my kids going to end up? And how can I get my husband back? That's the scenario. Now, I want you to keep in mind the topic for today, parenting in the flesh versus parenting in the spirit. And, and I want you to huddle up into groups of three, four, five today and have a conversation around the questions that are there on the screen. And if you're a guest here today or if you're an introvert that just, you just don't want to talk, <laughs> then just listen in to some conversations around you. Uh, so let's give you two minutes to do that. Ready, set, go. Okay, thank you everybody. I hope it was an energizing conversation. You say, why are you asking us to talk during the, this is a surefire way to get people to wake up in the middle of a message, okay? Um, now we want you to engage with this conversation, with this idea. What's the difference between parenting in the spirit and parenting in the flesh? I heard somebody say a long time ago, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. See, maybe Zach hadn't learned the difference between parenting in the spirit and parenting in the flesh. Zach knew, I'm saved by grace through faith. However, he's trying to live out the Christian life by doing more, trying harder, and make sure everybody around him did more and tried harder. He's not giving to his children the same grace that he had received from his heavenly father. Instead, Zach had turned to like, Drill Sergeant Dad. And so with his rigid application of the rules, he's trying to accomplish in the life of his children what can only be accomplished by a divine work of grace from God. Instead of drawing his children to him, he's pushing them away. And maybe even worse, pushing them away from God. 
See, this is what can happen if you parent in the flesh instead of parent in the spirit. So maybe Zach's just not staying in step with the spirit. So look again at our verse for today, Galatians 5.25, and, and read it again with me. Here it is on the screen. Here we go. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The secret to parenting in the Spirit is to stay in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to follow the Spirit's leadership in our lives. Are you staying in step with the Spirit? Listen, from this text, I want us to see three things that are true about us. Three things that God says, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, are true about you. And you need to remind yourself of these things as a person and as a parent if you're actually going to live out this Christian life effectively. you got to learn to speak the truth to yourself, to remind yourself of what is true about you. Because when you see yourself properly, then you can begin to behave properly. It's belief before behavior. It's duty. It's, it's doctrine before duty. It's identity before activity. So if you're going to stay in step with the Spirit, here's what you got to believe. I am spiritually alive in the Spirit. I'm spiritually alive. And this comes from the very first part of verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit. You might want to circle that word live because it's huge. See, before you come to Christ, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. We are alive physically, but dead spiritually. And you might look good on the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside. We are dead people walking. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us alive to God. One time there was a spiritual leader who came to Jesus with some questions, and Jesus just cut to the chase. He goes, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the things of God, and you'll never see heaven. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born Again, what is he talking about? Well, when you're born physically, uh, you inherit the traits of the very first man, Adam. Adam uh, rebelled against God. And Adam spiritually killed us. But what does Christ do? The second Adam. He gives us life. And we need to realize if we have a relationship with Jesus that we're no longer dead to the things of God. We're alive to the things of God. we got a new life. we got a new disposition, a new power, a new energy. And this is what it means to be born again. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So we're not like a dead Christmas tree with ornaments and lights hanging off us. We are a living tree and we have real fruit that we can bear. The fruit of the Spirit. So we now have a power. We now have a presence. Something other than ourselves is here. And more than anything, this is what parents need. Uh, we don't need another book telling us how to parent more than we need the life of God in Christ surging through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So have you received this life? Because I think there's... Churches just like this one, all across the United States, filled with people that come every week. And they don't really have the life of God in Christ. Are you leveraging this life? 
Do you know that you know that you know that you're alive from the dead? Are you experiencing the presence and power of God? Some of you, this is why the Christian life isn't working for you. Because you don't really have his life in you. You're just trying to be good on your own, by yourself. That's the flesh. You got to have life from God. Do you long for the evidence of the Holy Spirit to just flow through you, to stay in step with the Spirit? I have to know that I'm spiritually alive in Christ. And I need to remind myself of that over and over again. I'm not dead anymore. I'm alive in Christ. This is not me bragging on me. This is me bragging on what God has done in me. Second truth about you. I am personally indwelt by the Spirit. Personally indwelt by the Spirit. Now, this truth is not explicitly taught in this passage. This truth is implicitly taught in the passage. We know from other scriptures that when a person is made alive spiritually, then that person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Let me just give you one. It's in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. See, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, the person who comes in is actually the, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And this means you're not by yourself. You are not on your own. Now, um, let me illustrate. I am an absolutely terrible golfer. I mean, uh, I'm a left-handed golfer, and when I hit the ball, it just has its way of going out and then almost turns straight to the left. It's called a slice. I have a terrible slice. And no matter what I do to fix it, I can't. It's horrible. It's embarrassing. Suppose somebody came to me and they said, Hey, Rick, we have developed a new surgical technique. We can cut you open and we can put inside you the spirit of the best left-handed golfer on the planet, Phil Mickelson. I'm going, hey, okay, <laughs> bring on the operation, baby. So they cut me open, they open me up, they put inside Phil Mickelson. I get up off the operating table, it's like, okay, let's see what I can do now. Bam! Everything's straight, everything's far. And people go, what happened to you? Well, it's not me, it's Phil in me. <laughs> Now, suppose I go, you know what, I'm on my, I, I don't, I don't kind of like the way Phil's doing it. He's asking me to do things I don't really want to do. And plus, I'm doing okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take back over and live life my way, play golf my way. And all of a sudden, what happens is, I'm in that slice again. And everybody says, bless you. Everybody says, what happened to you? And I'm going, well, it's not Phil in me anymore. It's me now, right? Well, that's a goofy illustration, right? But I think it illustrates what's supposed to happen to us when we put our faith in Christ. When you give your heart and life to Christ, what happens is the, God does a spiritual surgery, cuts you open, he puts inside you Jesus Christ. You get up off his operating table and people ought to be saying, what happened to you? You used to be a punk and a jerk. And now your life is filled with love and joy and peace and patience. What happened to you? And we're supposed to say, it's not me. It's Jesus in me. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit 
who's living his life through me. I'm indwelt by the Spirit. Now, you can choose to say, I'm just going to take back over. I'm going to take over control. I'm going to start living life my way again. And guess what? You're a punk and a jerk all over again, right? This is what happens to us. The Holy Spirit comes in. And it's why the Bible says to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, uh, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So we constantly say, not only thank you that I'm indwelt by the Spirit, now God, would you fill me with your Spirit so that you ooze out of my pores? That's what needs to happen for us. Now, why do we need to constantly be filled with the Spirit? It's because we constantly leak the Spirit. And so we say all the time, Lord, I don't know what to do as a mom. I don't know what to do as a dad. But you've got to fill me with your Spirit so that I can live out this Christ-like life. If I am constantly filled with the Spirit who indwells me, then I can bear the fruit of the Spirit. So I remind myself... These two truths, I'm spiritually alive in the Spirit, I'm personally indwelt by the Spirit. Here's the third truth, I can daily stay in step with the Spirit. Listen, you can do this. I can do this. Because God has given us all the resources to be able to stay in step with the Spirit. And this comes from the very last part of verse 25, which says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. It's a military term. It's like you're marching in formation. And when the commanding officer says go left, you go left. When he says go right, you go right. If he says go straight ahead, you go straight ahead. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. You're staying in step with the Spirit. The secret sauce to the Christian life is that we stay in step with the Spirit, that we truly and actually follow His leadership. This is why we say the Christian life is not as much about rules as it is about a relationship. Now, lots of families have family rules. We're going to see some on the screen here. Um, if you don't have your own family rules, then you know what? You can go to Target and you can let them tell you what your family rules are supposed to be. Because you can buy a big poster right there at Target. Family rules, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with these rules, okay? But they become a problem when we begin to use the family rules wrongly. Uh, Pastor Chad said this, laws and rules can help cage the flesh, but they don't change the heart. So why did God give us rules? Why did God give us the law? How, how do God's rules fit with living in the Spirit? I mean, is the law bad? No, the law is not bad. The law is good. It came from a good God because it teaches us how to love God, how to love each other. That's what the law is. It shows us how to live. And then we realize when we don't measure up, I got to have some supernatural power in order to be forgiven and in order to have the energy and the direction to do the things I'm supposed to do. I want you to think of the law as a foundation or the pylons of a giant bridge. So the law is really good. Uh, the pylons are strong. They are necessary, but by themselves, they don't lead from death to life because we can't jump from pylon to pylon. It's just too far. So we got to have some girders and we got to have a deck and that is grace. 
So you see, law and grace work together through the gospel of Jesus to enable us to live the kind of life that we know we're supposed to live, a life of love, joy, and peace. Uh, uh, we can have this new life that we've been talking about. Now, if you look at that bridge from an aerial point of view, you'll see that to stay on the bridge, you can't veer to the right where it's all about the rules and not about grace. That's legalism. And you can't veer to the left because uh, we'll actually be blowing off the law of God then. That's lawlessness. The gospel of Jesus keeps us on the highway of holiness, away from legalism and away from lawlessness. So we've got both the law and the grace working together through the gospel so that we can experience love and joy and peace in our lives and in our homes. Now, family rules ought to serve the same way. Family rules should be based on the law of God. You use those laws to show your children how to live. But when they fail, and they inevitably will fail, don't expect your kids to get it right. Then you point your kids to Jesus and what he did on the cross to forgive them and then say, you know what? You can keep these rules through the power of the indwelling spirit. And so you're using the law to help guide these kids to have a real relationship with Jesus. And when you parent with an appropriate use of, use of the law and grace, you're actually mimicking the love that the Father has for us. Staying in step with the Spirit means I'm parenting my children the way that God parents me. Now, what does it look like to stay in step with the Spirit? A few weeks ago, Pastor Josh Stone taught on this passage, and he shared a brilliant illustration of what it means to be led by the Spirit. He told the story of a relationship between Caleb McKenzie, who goes to church here, and uh, Hamish, his black lab. So let's watch this. So Caleb was born blind. He can see like just a few shadows um, in his whole life. And so he has an ability, or he has a, a lack of ability that most of us have. So he has Hamish. Hamish is a three-year-old golden retriever. And Hamish always wears this harness on him. And then out of the harness, we see uh, we have a handle. And what Caleb does is he holds on to Hamish's handle and feels when Hamish goes forward. And what Caleb does, he goes forward. When Hamish stops, he stops. Hamish turns left, he goes left. He turns right, he goes right. You see, Caleb can't see where he's going. He has to hold on and feel, experience the pull of Hamish. And there's a lot of trust that goes on there. Because he has to trust Hamish not to embarrass him, right? Run him into a, a wall or the corner of a door. Or, or maybe have him trip over a speed bump or something like that. But even more so, he has to trust, trust Hamish with his life. Like Caleb never ceases to amaze me. This guy works downtown for Marriott. He commutes. So there's, there's Caleb walking across Superior with Hamish. So right, it doesn't matter what's going on in Caleb's mind. It doesn't matter how many cars he hears. Things are flying down the road. People are bumping into him. Caleb's job is to feel, to sense, experience if Hamish is going forward or Hamish stops. Now, I think being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, it's kind of like that. But God's given us a person and not a golden retriever. 
that he leads us, he guides us, he holds us by the hand, and those decisions to make, those um, directions to go, those uh, actions to take, we just have to be humble enough to be guided by the Spirit. Is that good? I think that's good. <laughs> All analogies fall short, and this one does. I mean, the relationship between Caleb and Hamish is a true partnership. Think about, though, Hamish is not really in charge. Caleb is. I mean, Caleb's the one who says it's time to go to work. But when it comes to our partnership with the Holy Spirit, it better be the Holy Spirit who's in charge. Now, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to think. We don't know how to live. He does. So we got to be sensitive to the nudge, the tug, the pull of the Spirit in our hearts. He will lead us as parents to the place where we're going to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience to our kids. The Old Testament and the other parts of the Bible are full of language about what it means to follow the Spirit. For instance, Isaiah chapter 30, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or turn to the left. Psalm 143, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Quench not the spirit. When the spirit says to go somewhere or do something and you don't, it's like you're throwing water on the fire of the spirit in your life. And, and for, Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Anytime we go a direction that he doesn't want us to go, it breaks his heart. It grieves him. See, when the Holy Spirit says, it's time for you to give your son a time out, then do what he says. When the Holy Spirit says, maybe about the same misbehavior, it's time not to make a big deal out of that behavior. You don't make a big deal out of it. See, the Holy Spirit is always at work in the life of your son or your daughter even if they don't know Christ yet. So your job is to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing and then to encourage that. You need to pray, God, open the eyes of my heart so that I can see what you're doing in the life of my daughter and child because I want to join you there. And you're not going to get it right all the time, but you're going to do your best to be sensitive to the leadership of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the moment, especially during those moments when your child misbehaves. And so that's when you kind of step back and you go, okay, I'm alive in Christ. Okay, I'm indwelt by the Spirit. Okay, I can stay in the step with the Spirit. So Spirit, right now, lead me and guide me and I'll follow you as best I can. To stay in step with the Spirit. One, I'm spiritually alive in the Spirit. Two, I'm personally indwelt by the Spirit. Three, I can daily stay in step with the Spirit. And this is how to have a home filled with love and joy and peace and not pride-provoking and envying. What we want as parents is a rule book, right? Just tell me what to do when my two-year-old throws a temper tantrum. Just tell me what to do when my daughter hits my son over the head with a toy hammer. Or just tell me what to do when my teenager talks back to me. Give me a rule book. But God doesn't give us a rule book. He gives us something much better. He gives us himself. He sends his Holy Spirit to live inside us. He gives us his spirit and his spirit's guidance. And he says, this is the way, walk in it. 
He gives us the capacity to have a real relationship with the Holy Spirit who dwells within so we can stay in step with him. Why doesn't God give us a rule book? I think it's probably because he's much more interested in a real live relationship with you than you keeping a set of rules. He wants you to be talking with him and walking with him moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. It's a relationship. Your kids need to see moms and dads not living by a rule book, but having a true, loving, living relationship with Jesus. God says, why would you want a rule book when you have me? Listen, the only way you can stay in step with the Spirit is if you repent of your sin and you trust in Christ and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've never done that. I mean, I would say there's probably dozens of people in this room who may be playing a religious game, but you, the reality's not there. And, you know, there's a prayer on the screen here. Let me just read through it with you. Dear Lord God, I have lived too long in the flesh. I want to live in the Spirit. I believe Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood in my place to forgive all my fleshly living. I believe he rose again. I ask him to come into my life through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in me, to direct me, and to bear his fruit through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are here today by divine appointment because he loves you so much. He's relentlessly been pursuing you, and you're here, and he wants you to have a real relationship with him. And you can express that by faith through a prayer like this. Why wouldn't you pray it? Why wouldn't you give your life to Christ today? And if you do, there's a place you can check on your program today. I gave my heart to Christ. We'd, we're not going to bug you or harass you, but we would love to send you some information to help you grow. One more story. Our son Alan remembers an experience from when he was a little boy. He, as a church, we used to rent space at what is now Lawrence School on Wallings Road over here. Uh, that was a pretty big building for a little boy to explore. So one day on a, after a Sunday service, we you know, greeted everybody after the service. We packed up all the stuff. and It's time to go home. But Marianne and I could not find Alan anywhere. And as a parent, you know what happens then, right? Your heart starts beating really fast. And you worry, somebody took my child. You think maybe you got hurt. And so you're frantic, right? We looked all around the building. And finally, after far too long and a lot of praying, Alan emerged. Um, although he had been warned never to do it, he thought, yeah, it's a good idea for me to play in the building with my friends and just have some fun away from mom and dad. He said, I wasn't trying to be a punk, but he was one. He was a punk that day. He sure scared us. And sometimes when parents are scared, you know what happens? They get angry, right? So we were relieved to see him. We were grateful, but I was a tick to dad. And I told Alan, when we get home, you're going to get it. Now, I was trying to figure out what does get it mean. I'm not sure what that means. But he was going to get it. And I don't remember what I said on the ride home, but I'm sure he received an earful. I'm guessing it was quite a lecture. But for some reason, when we came to our house on Wallings Road in North Royalton, where the punishment would be applied, uh, I decided to keep driving. I drove past our house, down the hill to York, and I turned left, 
And we went straight to Mr. Divot's to buy some ice cream for Alan. I wanted Alan to know that although it's not okay for you to hide from mom and dad, grace could be applied. So he got mercy and grace. Mercy meant he didn't get what he deserved. Grace meant he got what he didn't deserve. Ice cream. And you know, that has a very strong memory for Alan. <laughs> it probably happened, I don't know, 25 to 30 years ago. And I asked him this week, what do you remember about that experience? And here's what he wrote. I remember it being a tangible example of God's grace. You took the time to explain that. It was getting something I clearly didn't deserve. I knew I deserved to be punished because I had knowingly disobeyed you guys. But that experience taught me about the reality of God's grace and the possibility that I could receive it. Maybe, just maybe, for once in my life, I was parenting in the spirit instead of in the flesh. Maybe if my dad hadn't given me grace way back when, I wouldn't have given Alan grace then. I don't know. Maybe Alan's going to pass on that same grace to his kids someday so that they can get in touch with this amazing gift of grace from God. Maybe I gave him a little taste of what God does for us through Christ. Listen, stay in step with the Spirit. Be consciously aware of His presence. Follow His tug in your heart because that's the way to parent in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Stay in step with the Spirit. Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would help us to um, live our life not out of a bunch of rigid rules, but to live our lives before you in freedom and hope and joy and sensitivity to your direction. So Father, may the parents in this room, including myself, even though my kids are big, may we still listen to that still small voice and do what you lead us to do and say what you lead us to say and be who you lead us to be so that, Lord, our kids will want to know the same Jesus that we know who makes all things new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.